0: This little light of mine i'm gonna let it shine this little light of mine i'm gonna let it shine this little light of mine i'm gonna let it shine let it shine let it shine let it shine, let it shine. welcome talk catholic the website.com your host tim Kilcoin no agendas here just the straight and narrow through mary to jesus catholic faith proclaimed and preserved hope to see you here every week Catholic.com with Tim Kilcoyne, and I think it's time to keep the focus on Christmas in the midst of a world that seems to be burning. What's the answer? More Christmas lights. Get them up. (laughs) Lots of them. Make a statement like never before. And I thought I would start the show today with a short little Christmas story from Chicken Soup for the Soul, Time for Christmas this is just out recently, and we'll also take a quick look at the conclusion remarks of the Synod on Synodality. Uh, We've been looking at Bishop Schneider's book, The Springtime That Never Came. I'd like to take a look at a more recent article by Father Gerald Murray about his take on the Synod. We will also continue on with Who Am I to Judge? Our book review, author, Professor Edward Sree. We're in chapter 6. Law and happiness is the top. So, let me begin from a time for Christmas to get us in the mood. And with that title, don't ever forget the great Christmas work that the Glenn Miller Orchestra did for us by lighting a candle in that darkness. Major Glenn Miller himself brought Christmas music right into those trenches. We will do the same. From Chicken Soup for the Soul, chapter entitled Gifts Year Round by Mary Smith. Yes, God will give you much so that you can give away much and when we take your gifts to those who need them they will break out into thanksgiving and praise to God for your help 2 corinthians chapter 9 verse 11 last year i didn't have the heart to dissemble our artificial tree covered in miniature white lights each time we passed the living room we'd pause to gaze at the illuminated corner a poignant reminder that christmas is all about giving then something significant happened each time we looked at that tree and reminded us to give a gift to someone each and every day of the year. One afternoon, our six-year-old neighbor, Hayden, popped in for a visit. As he entered the living room, his eyes instantly spotted the lit tree. Wow! Christmas tree! Why do you have a Christmas tree up in the middle of summer? Christmas has been over for a long time now. We like to celebrate Christmas all year long, I smiled. Just this morning, there were a bunch of presents under that tree. Where are they now? he asked. Oh, that's one of the rules about celebrating Christmas all year long. Since it's a giving tree, the presents aren't allowed to stay here for more than a day. It's our job to see that they are given as soon as we hear of a need. That's what Jesus would want, right? Hayden tilted his head to one side and gazed up at me in wonder. What kind of presents are they? Well, let me think. One day we packed up some clothes we no longer needed and sent them to Hurricane Victims and to people in other parts of the world who aren't as lucky as we are. Of course, we always place them under the tree the night before and pray for the people who will be receiving our special surprises. Another time, I crocheted soft baby blankets. We wrapped them up in pretty paper and gave them to a place downtown that could use them. Then there was the day we wrapped up all of our old guideposts and Angels on Earth magazines and took them to an assisted living facility. There were just all kinds of people out there who could use a pleasant surprise, not only at Christmas time but all year round. The room suddenly grew so quiet, I had to look in Hayden's direction to make sure he was really still sitting next to me. Suddenly, Hayden's face glowed as brightly as the Christmas lights on the tree. If I go home and color a bunch of pictures, would you wrap them up and give them away as presents? I reached out and gathered Hayden softly in my arms. I think that's a sensational idea. I know that will make Jesus happy, too. And maybe we can tell others to keep their trees up all year round so they remember that every day is Christmas, right? I'll be sure and let them know. I whispered around the sudden lump in my throat, Merry Christmas, Hayden. Father, may we keep the spirit of Christmas in our hearts year round. Help us to teach our children that the reason we give is because you asked us to. Thank you for sending us the greatest gift the world has ever known, your Son. Amen. Oh, it just doesn't get any better than that, ladies and gentlemen, as, well, it's nighttime, so I can't see my tree out the window just now, but I have a artificial tree that's set up in the backyard in the middle of a sand trap. Little sentimentality for me. And I'm keeping it up year round. It's attached to an iron post. The weather ain't taking it anywhere. And that's a reminder to me that every day is Christmas. I hope you'll do something similar as you prepare for the great day. Okay, well, part of the darkness that has to be lit up is the Synod on Synodality that just took place in Rome back at the very tail end of October, and a document was issued. This is from the Catholicthing.org and it is written by Father Gerald Murray, who I have often said, if you want the Catholic answer, par excellence this is the man. Father writes, the General Secretariat of the Synod of Bishops issued the working document for the continental stage of the Synod for a synodal church. It unapologetically calls into question various Catholic doctrines under the guise of listening to the Holy Spirit, who remarkably is somehow speaking through the complaints and criticisms of those who reject what the church teaches and has always taught. A quick pause right there as you are reminded of who these people are orchestrating the synod again baby boom age radicals from the 1970s never were in conformity with magisterial teaching i was right there in class with them rejecting the inclusive language (laughs) that they wanted to force upon us at a jesuit university i won't name today (laughs) all right they haven't changed They've been waiting for this moment to get their way and turn the church upside down into a democracy, which it never will be. As Jesus said, you are rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He set up Peter and the apostles as the leaders, and we're not going to call our Lord into question. Not here, anyway. Father Jerry continues on. Contributions from around the world that contradict Catholic doctrine are cited or summarized with approval. Because, quote, they express in a particularly powerful, beautiful, precise way sentiments expressed more generally in many reports, quote unquote. Those sentiments, Father tells us, enjoy the presumption of spirit-inspired truth while doctrines cause alienation and sorrow. Remarks from an American parish group are emblematic, quote, The vision of a church capable of radical inclusion, shared belonging, and deep hospitality, according to the teachings of Jesus, is at the heart of the synodal process. Instead of behaving like gatekeepers trying to exclude others from the table, we need to do more to make sure that people know that everyone can find a place and a home here. Just a little postscript. The gatekeepers, he's referring to those triumphant, rigid people. Well, They haven't even been in the church since the early 1960s. I've always reminded the progressives, quote unquote, that they stay stuck in an angry time warp, throwing stones at people who are long gone. Father Jerry goes on. The document further explains, quote, the synodal experience can be read as a path of recognition for those who do not feel sufficiently recognized in the church, unquote. Father Jerry says, so who feels excluded? Quote, among those who ask for a more meaningful dialogue and a more welcoming space, we also find those who, for various reasons, feel a tension between belonging to the church and their own loving relationships, such as remarried divorcees, single parents, people living in a polygamous marriage, LGBTQ people, etc., unquote. There is no unanimity on how to deal with these situations, unquote. Father says, who else is complaining? Quote, after careful listening, many reports ask that the church continue its discernment. Mother uh, Jerry reminds us, the teaching of the church given to her by Christ is the problem. The church is being asked to seriously discuss discarding teachings that contradict the beliefs and desires of One, those living in adulterous second marriages. Two, men who have two or three more wives, homosexuals and bisexuals, people who believe they are not the sex they were born as, women who want to be ordained deacons and priests, and lay people who want the authority given by God to bishops and priests. Does anything here strengthen or promote fidelity to Christ's teachings? Father asks, Of course not. It's all about changing the church. And Father asks, where are the bishops in all of this? They are asked to identify appropriate ways to carry out their task of validating and approving the final document, ensuring that it is the fruit of an authentically synodal journey, respectful of the process that has taken place, and faithful to the diverse voices of the people of God in each continent, quote-unquote. Father Murray says, in other words, bishops are to function as recording secretaries. They're not advised to ensure the fidelity of the assembly to church teaching. The document calls for the church to operate with transparency. A good place to begin would be for the synod secretariat to publish all the written submissions received. Did any, for instance, lament the loss of faith in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, the lack of priestly vocations in the developed world, the steep decline in mass attendance, baptisms, and church weddings, the scandal of bishops and cardinals repeatedly contradicting church teaching in public, the loss of Catholic faithful to evangelical churches, the collapse of the Catholic school system in the developed world, the widespread phenomenon of liturgical abuses while the celebration of the traditional Latin Mass is harshly curtailed or even forbidden, the collapse of religious orders due to secularization and the rejection of doctrinal fidelity and ascetical living. There is plainly an open revolution going on in the church today, an attempt to convince us that the embrace of heresy and immorality is not sinful but rather a response to the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking through the people who feel marginalized by a church that has, up to now, been unfaithful to its mission. The document states, quote, To use a biblical image, one could say that the synodal journey marked the first steps of the return from an experience of collective exile, the consequences of which affect the entire people of God. If the church is not synodal, no one can really feel fully at home. unquote. Father Mary concludes, Let's pray that the synod fathers and all the bishops will stand up and defend." defend." Defend the Church's teaching and practice against this Vatican sponsored exercise in self destructive behavior. Souls are at stake. Well, hallelujah, Father Murray, once again, and let's not forget vocations to the priesthood and religious life in utter jeopardy are at stake, which have been abysmal. I do believe I read there were three ordinations to the Jesuits in their eastern province, 2023, and two of those came from out of the country it ain't working. And in any institutional structure, when there's a litany of decline, as Father Murray just rattled off, you have a board meeting and you take a look at, what are we doing wrong? And it has nothing to do with doctrine and dogma for your very identity no we know who we are for 2023 years and we're not changing our identity to accommodate the ways of the world who's the prince of this world indeed the devil we're giving him nothing we're not going in his direction which is what Most of these topics represent that they're trying to put on the table for their new catechism. Watch out there. And the fact that people like Cardinal Seurat wasn't even invited to the Synod. Oh, that's dialoguing. This, forgive me, ladies and gentlemen, if I was a swearing man, (laughs) but I'm not. But I'm telling you, this is a crocodoo doo, what's going on by the higher ups over there in the Vatican. And as usual, just like in the political realm, they don't represent God's good people in the big time majority. But they got the power and the PhDs, and they're just wielding their sticks. Might we suggest evangelization? Oh, I forgot that's called proselytizing now. No, evangelization is the right word, the very essence of the reason for the church's existence. Indeed, see the documents of Vatican II. What we need is a big board meeting, and the lay people can be part of that process, but they're not going to substitute for the bishops themselves and take their decision-making power away from them by a vote. This all reminds me probably 25 years ago when these parishes began to close their doors and start clustering. I went to the closing down meeting. Of a particular parish in my hometown. And I listened around the horn to some of the questions, but the ultimate question I guess I reserved for myself as I simply stood up at the very end and said, Ladies and gentlemen, was there a wake up call, crisis, news flash in the church bulletin going back 10 years ago? How about 10 months ago? Or maybe two weeks ago? Everything just kind of came to a screeching halt assuming no one was interested, with no foresight committee that could work on these things that needed to be worked on over decades up to that point. So the malaise, the lukewarmness has been at work post-Vatican II. And I submit that the creating of this chaos has been very similar to what's going on in the political realm. It's all part of the agenda so that they can just turn things upside down to their liking ain't happening we're not going to change the ecclesial structure of the church herself so that all opinions are equal (laughs) good try no go and god will have none of it and i would die on that if they continue to go down this road i think our lord and our lady would make it most simple. Repent. Please, make it a peaceful Christmas and be Catholic and be proud and be faithful. When we come back, we'll get to our book review, Who Am I to Judge? by Professor Edward Sri. A couple of Christmas poems to get us ready from the website nanascorner.com. Christmas is for children. Christmas is for children, at least that's what they say. It's time of wide eyed wonder at a magic holiday. When candy canes and gingerbread fill tummies with delight, and little sleepy heads try hard to stay up through the night. Yes, Christmas is for children, anyone will tell you so. The twinkling colored lights on trees make youngsters' eyes just glow. Each package and each stocking is approached with childish joy, and toys bring squeals of laughter from each eager girl and boy. Yes, Christmas is for children, all they say is true. How wonderful that at Christmas time, grown-ups are children too. The Gift of Jesus by Deborah Ann Belka. This Christmas I'm decorating my heart with the wrappings of his love, tying a ribbon round my soul with his blessings from above. I'm going to avoid all the malls and stop not at a single store. The only present I will give is the one that will restore. I'm giving the gift of forgiveness, sending cards about his grace. I'm letting the glory of his birth beam across my thankful face. I'm opening up my home for everyone to come and see the light of his beauty, so to celebrate his birth with me. I'm giving the offering of Jesus, at naught at cost to me. I'm sending out the message, there is one gift that is truly free. Chapter 6, Law and Happiness from Who Am I to Judge? The very idea of a moral law, Professor Edward Sreed tells us, is like a bad word today. Moral law. Sounds like a bunch of random rules and restrictions, one group telling others how to live their lives. The mere mention that certain things are right and wrong for everyone immediately makes people uncomfortable or frustrated, even angry. Picture yourself trying to convince a friend a certain action is morally wrong for everyone, all the time. Here are the kind of thoughts that might be going through your friend's mind. You're only saying this because you're a Christian. Only people who can't think for themselves blindly follow what their church says. You've been brainwashed. This is just the way you've been raised. You must be very insecure. I guess morality helps you to feel okay with yourself. Your morality makes you feel superior, like you're better than other people. What is right and wrong can and should change as the times change. We shouldn't be so rigid and out of touch. Who are you to make your particular way of looking at the world a moral law for everyone? Talking about a moral law sparks strong reactions today. But part of the challenge is that many people don't understand the why behind the moral law. When asked why Christians think God gives moral laws like the Ten Commandments of the Sermon on the Mount, many people would say something like, so they can be good and get to heaven. It is generally assumed that Christian moral laws about marriage, sexuality, care for those in need, and protecting human life are simply rules believers have to follow or are some test of obedience so that they can please their Almighty God. But the actual Christian view of the moral law is so much bigger than this. When the Catholic theologian, St. Thomas Aquinas, began his treatment on morality, he focuses on the question, in what does happiness consist? This is the Christian view of morality. God gives the moral law because he loves us and wants us to be happy. A good father, for example, might give laws to his children for their well-being because he loves them and wants what is best for them. He wants his children to be happy. The law is an expression of the father's love. This point was driven home to me years ago when my then 13-month-year-old son tried to climb the monkey bars in our backyard. I quickly realized we needed to issue a new law for him. I was inside the house when it happened. After observing his older siblings repeatedly climb a ladder and race across the monkey bars on our backyard playset, little Carl decided to give it a try. He set out on his adventure when no one was looking, and made it all the way up the ladder. From there he reached out for the first rung of the monkey bars with both hands and suddenly found himself stuck, hanging for dear life, seven feet in the air. His older siblings noticed him and immediately rushed inside, screaming, Carl stuck on the monkey bars. I dashed outside and found him dangling with arms completely outstretched, both hands clinging desperately to the wooden bar and a look of horror on his face. His older brother was below him, propping him up, until I came. The boy was rescued, but I knew I needed to declare a new law that day. Little Carl was not allowed to climb the monkey bars. I issued this decree not because I was on a power trip with my 13-month-year-old. Rather, I gave this law because I love him and wanted to protect him from getting hurt. And the same is true with God's moral law. He made us, he knows how we work, and he gave us the moral law. To guide us on the pathway to what will bring true happiness in life. Ladies and gentlemen, you've heard me say in previous shows that sin has an escalating effect. The demonic increases the more we tolerate it. And there's always a starting point. And one could argue that the lack of love exhibited in our society here in America might have started to be precise on May 9, 1960, when the FDA approved of birth control, the pill, and the floodgates were wide open for uncommitted sex. This was not loving. I don't care how many people may be practicing at the current time contraception of any variety. We don't even have to look to Catholic Church teaching to see the devastation of family life and, yes, illegitimate relationships that have resulted from this quote-unquote, new freedom of American culture now. 63 years later, and 65 million abortions later, and yes, there is a connection. No, the pill was not a loving invention, and laws accepting it were less so. Do you know, in original law, going back to 1873, the Comstock Act made birth control illegal in the United States. It was a crime to possess, distribute, or provide information about contraception or abortion. Penalties for breaking the law were steep up to five years in jail and a large fine. But later, in an appeal to that law in 1936, it was declared unconstitutional. And the charge was on to develop the pill. And it's not coincidental that prayer was thrown out of the school only a couple of years later, out of the public school after the FDA had approved the pill in 1960. And then one year after prayer was thrown out, Bible study was thrown out, 1963. And this is in the public school. And then abortion on demand 10 years later than that, 1973. Ah, the spiral just keeps spinning. And if you ever wanna see the whole litany of Judeo-Christian laws that were destroyed in the courts by certain select angry activists, please do see the book, The Supremacists by Phyllis Schafly. You see, laws are not arbitrary. They either protect and nurture love or they do not. And the evidence is in over many decades. As example, I personally could share one story after another about the alcoholic mayhem that was completely tolerated in my own hometown, which I'll leave unnamed, but it wasn't much different from most little towns in my state during the 1970s. It was drinking to the max and driving at 15 years of age. Every weekend, Fridays and Saturday night. That's right, under age. But it was was just completely accepted by the authorities. We, we were drinking in baseball fields on a Friday night and told by the local authorities to just make sure we clean up after ourselves. And it just so happens that the incidence of alcoholism in this particular town is just through the roof. As one priest friend of childhood said to me, not all that long ago, Timmy, Four out of five families have this problem in your hometown. And thank the Lord for one group of people who cared much mothers against drunk driving. They imposed restrictions on our freedom. Thank God. So many of the new laws regarding the prohibition against drunk driving were pressured by mothers who had had enough of uh, premature deaths of sons and daughters. So we enact laws to protect and to love. Take a look at smoking. What did we do there? Talk about a positive peer pressure. But nevertheless, it was the employment of new laws in restaurants, as example, that made it almost a social stigma to dare take out a cigarette in a local restaurant. But maybe one should now, in retrospect, ask the question, where were the fathers against drunk driving? Because... The classic case of alcoholism has the father AWOL towards leading the moral charge to protect and love. I read and finish up with a little excerpt from Phyllis Shafley in one of her last books in 2014, Who killed the American family? She writes, The American nuclear family is a good thing, and laws, policies, and social conventions that undermine the family are bad things. All social statistics confirm that American style marriage has been good for women, good for men, good for children, good for society, good for freedom, and good for our high standard of living. Real life experience has given our lawmakers and judges a rational basis for concluding that marriage is a social good that should be protected and encouraged by. laws when challenged in the courts. Exactly what we're not seeing today. She then referenced a 1955 movie that was the teen angst movie of the decade, Rebel Without a Cause, James Dean. And it was Basically all about the problems of teenage youth when the father is absent. The mothers tried, but they couldn't fill the gap of the father figure to lead, teach, and protect. And when he accepts this spiritual authority, true freedom results and a better world. We will do our part here at WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. Pave the way for his birth. Let your light shine. That is what it's all about here at WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. But we need to hear your story. You want your voice to be his voice. That is making the faith known to others. Please, my number is 877-625-3727. Tim Kilcoyne, talkcatholic.com. St. Mother Teresa told us your ministry is your work right where you are. Grab on to this microphone. God bless.